Hi, and welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Today's episode, we will be speaking about the speech and language signs and strategies that you as the educator and parent can use to help support your students who show signs of delays, difficulties, or challenges. And to help us along with this is Joy Kling. She is a speech language pathologist of over 17 years. She sees people online as well as in person. Joy has a wonderful growth mindset and a vast knowledge in the many different areas within speech. Some of the areas that she specializes in are voice, pragmatics, stuttering, and we are thrilled to have Joy here today to tell us what some of those signs are that we should be looking for within our students and how we can help support their speech and language needs. Welcome, Joy. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Joy, can you speak with us about what are some typical signs that students may be having that show that they are having difficulty with their speech and language skills? Sure, um, speech and language skills are crucial in all areas of learning. So it's really important for teachers to adopt a whole class approach. And that really benefits everyone involved. For the teachers to know some of these kids when they're coming in that are identified already as speech and language impaired, they're really aware of those students in the classroom already, but there are plenty of students in the classroom that have not yet been identified that could also be having speech and language difficulties. So to use this holistic approach and really have all of these strategies within the classroom for everyone, you are covering all bases. But there are signs that you can look for with some of these students. So difficulty following directions is definitely something that would clue you in whether it's when the teacher is speaking or whether the child is actually reading something that would be a sign for us. Difficulty comprehending a story or comprehending something that they read or something that the teacher asked them to do, that would be another sign. Difficulty organizing thoughts and difficulty conveying information about thoughts that they have would really give you a moment to look at that child and say, you know what, let me monitor this child. Let me see, they might be someone I might refer to the speech language pathologist. Another thing would be, you know, some of these kids really have difficulty finding words. And sometimes even for us as speech language pathologists to really get down to the reason why that's happening, it might not be really apparent at the moment when you're first seeing it. Sometimes it's recalling, retrieving those words. Sometimes it might be a child who's stuttering within the classroom and the word is there and it's stuck here and they just cannot get it out. And sometimes those kids are also labeled word finding and they might not be a child that's having word finding difficulties actually. So it's important for teachers to be aware of that, especially with reading fluency in the classroom. When you're listening to certain children speak, sometimes if they're a child who gets stuck on words, 
they might not be able to say the word even though it's in front of them and it might not be a reading fluency issue. Um, some children use non-specific words. So they might say, you know, the stuff, the thing uh, over there. Get that a lot, or the thing. Um, can you expand on what that thing is, especially in writing too? Mm -hmm. And they have a hard time doing that or they might use semantically related words. So if you have a child that says, you know that book place, that book place. And they're thinking of certain words that where we read, but they really don't know the word library, right? So then also when they're having difficulty with that, their language doesn't sound as cohesive when they are communicating. So that's something to look for with children as well. Um, there are so many things because speech and language really encompasses so much grammatical errors if you see frequent there are age appropriate ones as well, so we always have to remember what's developmentally appropriate. Retaining details of a main story, you know, some children don't have the ability to retain it and then pull it out later when they need to talk about it. It's really difficult. They might understand it at first, but to actually retain it and then recall it later on might be hard for them appropriately responding to questions that could be difficult having difficulty with topic maintenance or reciprocity of verbal exchanges back and forth with peers or adults uh, sequencing having difficulty putting things in order and then when they have difficulty doing that that really spills into reading it spills into writing it also could have difficulty in a moment of them organizing things within the classroom for themselves and following directions. So these are so many things that you want to look for. And something that is near and dear to me is some of these kids do repeat sounds in the classroom, prolong sounds in the classroom. They get stuck on their words. And that's something to look for. And when children start to become frustrated for any speech and language difficulty, you might not hear certain things, but you might see withdrawal from communication. You might see shutting down, relying on certain things, saying, I don't know a lot, um, intelligibility, not understanding clear sounds. That's another thing to highlight. So those are many of the signs that you're looking for. It's a lot of work for a teacher. They're good at it, but it is a lot of work. And knowing those signs are very helpful, especially when you're a special education teacher. Just about everything you've said, we've got in our classroom all at once. And many times our students already come to us with speech and language services. So can you give us some examples of how we can help support our students? And let's maybe start with the child who uses um, their grammar in uh, in improper way. How do you support them without making them feel criticized or judged, but yet supported in a productive way? Well, the first and foremost thing is you always want to create an atmosphere of acceptance, open communication, risk taking. So if you have that child in the classroom that makes that grammatical error, you do not want to highlight it in front of their peers or even make them feel negative about communication, right? We're fostering communication in all attempts at speaking. So for a child that does something like that, the best thing to do 
would be to do recast and expand. So if you hear a child say something, them are going. You might recast the appropriate grammatical structure and then expand on top of it. And you could say something like, really, they are going to the playground? So now the child's heard it back in a very positive way. And in addition, you've given them a chance to hear it. And you haven't really put all of the emphasis on them, right? So you're turning around, you're modeling it in a very positive kind of way. You can make it very salient on what you want them to hear, right? They said them, you want them to hear they, that's your auditory bombardment. You're really saying they with a lot of emphasis, so they hear it. So that would be something for a child like that. I love that example, because instead of just modeling the proper order or sequence of words, we're really taking the words that they, sh they should have said grammatically correct and putting it in maybe a question form. So maybe, and I would believe that it also gives them the opportunity to respond, opening up even more communication. Yes, yes, it definitely would. And that's a great building block, especially when children have difficulty with reading comprehension. So for us teachers who want to support our students with reading comprehension skills, we kind of got, you know, two opportunities there where we're correcting them grammatically, but now we're asking a question based on what they said that can lead us into some more story elements, which then they work on their recall. Mm -hmm. And then they're taking risk taking, you know, you're really giving them a chance to be part of communication within the classroom, which is so important, even for these kids that have difficulty with intelligibility. And that happens a lot when they even come into kindergarten. It could even be a child that does not have speech and language difficulties, right? But they have certain sounds we know that are later developing sounds. They don't have the R, the R, the all of these different sounds. And now this student, the teacher might not be able to understand some of the certain things that they're trying to convey. So rather than putting the focus on the child and saying, can you repeat that? I didn't hear that, right? I try to do something a little bit more positive. If I get an idea of what they're saying, I might say to them, wow, that sounds amazing. What did you and your brother do? Right? So if I heard them talk about their brother, but I didn't really understand the rest of it, I might be able to do something like that to highlight it. They repeat it, maybe I'll get the context a little bit more. If not, if all else fails and I do not hear it, I put it on me. So most of the time I'll say, you know, my silly ears are not working that great today. Oh, can you please try that for me? Because these ears, I don't know what's going on today. So I will try to put the focus more on, you know, oh my goodness, it's my ears. It's not you. I want to hear what you have to say. I love listening to you. And that to me is really important in the classroom. And I know it sounds like a lot. We don't have time to do this all of the time, um, but there are such important moments that you could miss and amazing opportunities for these kids to feel successful. I love that. Being able to put it on ourselves as a way to make them feel comfortable to continue to repeat what it is that they're saying. What about the child who has 
difficulty staying on topic. This was something that um, I really wanted to work with my own students. And so when I was co-producing the music CD, I actually helped the songwriter write a song about answer the question properly, meaning listen to the question, what's being asked, and make sure your answer matches that question. So how can other educators help their students who have a difficult time answering questions and responding on topic? So the first thing I would say, because you mentioned a few things there, really promote for all students active listening in the classroom right away. That should be the entire class. It should be a skill that I think teachers talk about, right? And they do, they definitely do. But I think it's not something that should just be brought up once or twice or three times. I think repetition is key in the school environment. And the more we repeat certain things that we're looking for, the better that we they'll all do, honestly. So taking that active listening and working on that and highlighting, you know, if they're really listening to what you say and taking a moment and then responding, they might understand it. Some kids have a difficult time with topic maintenance. So if they're going off on tangents and they're not saying with the back and forth, you can prompt them and bring them back to what the topic is, you know. And do you have any suggestions for our listeners here tonight to get them back on topic without making them feel as though, uh oh, I did it again. I was talking about something that was totally unrelated again. Mm -hmm. So if they, let's say we're talking about one thing and then they went off on something else, I think I would validate what they said a little bit first before I just switch right back to the topic, right? I would say something like, wow, I love my little pony too. We were talking about, and then whatever you were talking about in the classroom, we were talking about when Johnny went to the park the other day with his friend. And then you can try to lead them back. So again, you're not putting it on them, but you're validating that they were heard and you're validating what they said, and then you're bringing them back to it. And you can even prompt them in ways of talking about the park. Hmm, I wonder what Johnny did at the park with his friend. What do you think Johnny might have done at the park with his friend? So you're really trying to engage them and keep them on task and on what you're discussing at that moment. Those are great strategies and I appreciate that. You really hit the heart of my philosophy when educating students who struggle learning. And that's the active listening part. Whenever I'm working with a client or my own students, I say keywords with a verbal and visual prompt. And that sounds funny, but sometimes we need to, I think, say things that are not said often. And so that's where I say caring tree, which then means active listening. And all the kids know, you look at the person speaking and you listen to the words that the person who's speaking is saying. So when you have that child who has his or her hand up and you're not asking a question, a quick prompt of caring tree, they know, calm mind, calm body, let me refocus here. Mm -hmm. And so is that something that you do 
with your own clients in terms of getting them to re-engage when they might be off task? Yes. And what you just mentioned is full body listening, some of those things and really highlighting the language. You know, we listen with our ears, we look with our eyes, and sometimes I'll even draw the visuals for them. So they really understand it because some kids are not auditory learners. So when you do certain things, it's really nice to draw pictures and match things together so that they truly know, okay, this is what I'm doing at this moment. Um, with full body listening too, you need to be specific. So when you're even praising someone for doing it, you'd say, oh, wow, I love the way you're looking at me right now. You're really listening to what I just had to say. And you're being specific and you're praising and highlighting things they're doing. You know, we look at the breakdown so much with children that sometimes we forget that praising what we want from them just works so much more because every child wants to do well. So when you're praising what they're doing, they want to do more and it just increases those behaviors. And we have a whole podcast just on praise. Tell your students what you really mean is the title of it because the way that we speak to them helps to shape their mind, whether it's going to be a fixed mindset or a growth mindset where they'll say, I can learn from this challenge, which I believe is really what you're saying because you're saying you're having difficulty, you're aware of it. But now let's take that risk mm -hmm. and let's take that risk and let's talk about it more. Let's talk about answering that question, going for it, trying to make that inference. How would you help educators support their students who have difficulty inferencing information? So I think with inferencing information, you have to really find out where the breakdown is and highlighting what they're doing and then bring them to the next step. So sometimes it's really making associations, right? So you would have to see what level of associations can they put together first before you're expecting them to be able to inference something that might be more complex. So really seeing where their skills are. I think, again, we're trying to find out what they have, not sometimes what they don't. And then when you find out where they are with associations and certain things, you can build on top of that to get to the next level. But we have to make sure that the steps are there. We don't want to go from step A to step Z, right? We need to go in order to make sure that they have everything they need to be successful. And if we're expecting too much from them because they don't have the certain things learned prior to that particular skill, then we're not going to be successful, the teacher or the student. Can you talk to us about the student who stutters? A lot of educators don't know how to support these, these students when they're trying to answer the questions. The kids now are beginning to see that they're repeating their words, whether it be socially, when they're together, or when you ask them a question. How can educators support these types of students? I really think that you need to center it on the person who stutters. And you need to have a conversation with the parents and the child. I have some 
people that I work with that are really young. And you would be surprised. They know what they want. They can communicate what they want. They might get a little stuck when they say it, and that's okay. It's not about getting stuck. It's about communication. And I think that some teachers are really trying to be helpful in the classroom. So if somebody wants to read in the classroom, they might try to think that it's their responsibility to prompt them and tell them things like slow down, which is something you wouldn't even say as a therapist, but a lot of people go to slow down, think about what you want to say. And if you're not saying that to other children in the classroom before they read, you shouldn't be saying it to the child who is stuttering before they read, because now you just took that child in that moment and there is so much pressure of them feeling like they need to be fluent in that moment. And it's not about fluency. It's about reading. It's being part of the classroom, participating, wanting to talk to me. When I speak to an educator and they're telling me they're raising their hand, they want to speak to adults, they want to speak to peers, they were up in front of the classroom giving a presentation, I never ask the educator or the child, were you fluent or did you get stuck? I was like, wow, you did that? You were in front of the entire class and you gave a presentation, that's amazing. And then also respecting a child that's not ready for that yet. You know, children really need to talk to their teachers and let them know where they are in their journey of stuttering. They might not be ready to give a presentation in front of the classroom. And as much as we wanna guide them and encourage them and hopefully get to that point, it's not our job to force things where they're not ready. And it's such a delicate balance because are they shy and they just need that encouragement and then they feel so proud and now they're like when are we presenting again then you're mm -hmm. working on all those wonderful skills that come along with presenting publicly to how we're just not ready yet right. so it's really coming down to knowing your students and really having that individual discussion with them Definitely. Having them try to right express mm -hmm. why is it that you don't want to um, or you don't feel comfortable yet speaking in front of your class. Is there mm -hmm. some way I can support you? What do you need me to do for you? And I think these types of conversations are very supportive where they might have just tipped them right over the threshold and then they can have that positive experience where they no longer are withdrawn and worried so much about how am I going to sound? What am I going to look like? Now mm -hmm. it's, I'm safe, I'm with my friends and I can't wait to speak again. So I think it's- Sometimes I actually go in the classroom with those students and I'm the first presentation with them. So we'll teach the students in the classroom what stuttering is, what are helpful things to say to a friend who might get stuck? What are things that might not be the best thing to say? And the teacher really learns at that moment too, because I truly believe that all teachers are trying to help their students. Absolutely. And just like parents are trying to help their children, but we don't always know the best way to go about it. So sometimes we need help and guidance and that's okay. And it's okay if we didn't do the right things before that, as long as we're always trying to learn and better ourselves for the next experience, 
that speaks volumes. Well, children do know, absolutely. They know whether or not we're being sincere or not. And they're very forgiving too, in terms of forgiving. Oh, what was that you said? What do you mean by that? <laughs> you know, sometimes we say things with intent where they're confused about what our message is because we might not really know what it is that they need without the in-depth knowledge, like we're discussing right now about how to support students with speech and language delays. Mm -hmm. And, and the speech language pathologist in the school district is a great resource because they can work as a team with the parents, the speech language pathologist and that teacher, they can come together. And if you give the educator tips for the particular child and what their deficits are and what they're dealing with, that is really helpful all around for everyone. And the expectations, if you know what the goals and expectations are, and the speech language pathologist, parent, and educator discuss them together, and they're all on the same page, it makes for a seamless learning environment. Absolutely. And understanding the how, how specifically can I support my students? Because as a special education teacher, we'll have their IEP. So we'll see their goals and their objectives but we don't always know the how, not our field. So having that conversation both ways, educator contacting and collaborating with the speech language pathologist and the speech language pathologist speaking with the teacher and bridging that gap where then, listen, you know what Lisa, this is what we're working on. And can you make sure that he stretches out his words today? or you make it the visual that we're doing inside of our sessions. Here's an example. And then taking that, having a conversation with the parents. So now we're talking about the goal and the how. We already know the why, but it's the how that I find oftentimes gets a little muddled because we need to take that time to talk to each other specifically about some of these goals and how we're going to reach them. Yes, definitely. I agree 100% Lisa. And I know that at times as a practitioner, you've spoken directly to the schools and the teachers, as well as obviously the parents being that you see them privately. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've had contact as you know, a lot of the speech language pathologists in the school I've talked to the teachers, I've had the opportunity to talk to if parents want me to speak to a lunch aid, I you know, lunch aids Great. are in the classroom. And they're amazing and they're doing wonderful things. And sometimes they might not have the knowledge in a certain area, just like there's things in life I don't know about that I go to those professionals to help me understand more. Um, you know, I've had lunch aids where they have imitated a child, maybe if they didn't say the right thing or might have, they were stuck on words and they didn't think they were doing anything that really didn't make the child feel in a, you know, every focus was on them, embarrassed, shame, guilt. And that really can happen in the split second from an adult that really wasn't trying to harm the child at all. You know, that person was probably coming from a good place also. And I've had conversations with lunch aides after things have happened and it actually brings the lunch aide and the, the student 
closer together and the teacher and the lunch aide are connected more on this particular student and how to help them so that continuous conversation and working as a team it's a holistic approach and a team approach and if we do that then we're going to help the child because working together all of us are better than one of us and you really cannot just work with one absolutely and when you know you have a child or children and sometimes yes a class that has speech and language needs then approaching it as the whole class from the start i i have found to be very very helpful because then the strategies that you've incorporated in your daily teaching just become actually they become part of your management too because you have to spend less time correcting or modeling or recasting is did you say you said that that term i've never heard as an educator did you say recasting yes and yeah. that's actually a lot of things that speech and language pathologists do we recast we expand uh, those are different kinds of things we do to help some of the children when we're hearing like those grammatical errors we spoke right. about before. right and that happens with so many students so i i find that when you have the foundation that we are a team and my kids know we are a team we are a school family here and what goes for one really goes for all but yet it's all individualized as well um but you know you will come to certain instances where other students say to a child who stutters why are you talking like that and it's innocent they're not picking on that child i just recently had that and it's an observation he made he felt comfortable enough with his friend to mention it but then his friend who stuttered was upset and so that's then how as a teacher i had to get involved so can you talk to that point a bit that when other students and peers notice um, something that a child is doing speech related and how teachers can support that type of type of circumstance as well? I think as a teacher, you know, first to talk about it with the child who really was sad and didn't feel good after something like that happened and validate how they felt and talk about it with them. And maybe also letting them know when people question, it's really because they don't understand and they want to know more about it. And sometimes that really takes a lot of the sadness or pressure or that moment away and just might make them feel a little bit better for some children. For some children, it honestly might not. So I think walking through their feelings and emotions about it, maybe also giving them something to say when it happens. Sometimes that student at that moment is just so surprised that they don't feel empowered to really communicate some kind of response to why do you talk like that and i really spoke to a lot of i mean this comes up very frequently lisa for me so we have that conversation and some kids feel really empowered to say i get stuck on words sometimes and that's why i talk like that you know it's worth listening to me <laughs> I love that. They're all different in what feels good for them. 
And honestly, you have to see what the right fit is for that child. Then on top of that, if you talk to the teacher about it, sometimes it's a wonderful opportunity to have a day to talk about differences. And there are a lot of differences in this world that we need to learn more about. And I think having a difference day in a lot of districts would be a beautiful day, not just a librarian reading a book about differences, right? Maybe having somebody have someone that's really close to them that might have something that's a little different or something they have themselves. And if they wanted to have a difference day, then you can really support. It's okay to be different. It's wonderful to be different. Who wants to be ordinary, you know? And I really think we have to take a positive spin on certain things. And I, I have to go back to what you had said by giving the students a response and discussing what would what can we say if this ever happens again, what is it that maybe we can come up with together that you can say? And if they did say it's worth listening to me, I get stuck on some words sometimes. Given the right type of relationships, there may be students who respond back and say, I do too, but maybe they didn't have the words. And so right. now it turns out positive energy is now helping from one child who could have felt like, you know, the victim or why do I talk like this and really feeling bad about him or herself to, well, I just communicated something in a positive way, presenting and going back a little bit. And I just helped somebody. Mm -hmm. How empowering is that? So I think that really a, is. I think it's a fabulous strategy too, like giving them, but I don't want, I don't want to say giving, but really having that conversation, what would you feel comfortable saying? And right. then helping them formulate that statement. And every, like I said, every child is different. I've had certain children that have been, you know, their stutter has been imitated and mocked by a peer. And I've had certain students so strong and they feel so great that they would say, well, you're doing it wrong. If you'd like, I can teach you how to do it in a much better way because the way you did it is not correct. <laughs> you know, so some kids are really strong and they feel really yes. good and it empowers them and some do not. And you do have to find a way to help every child with what feels good for them. Yes, yes. And I believe it's possible. And that's what this podcast is all about. Students succeeding beyond expectations and that has a lot to do with communication. Joy, how can people get in contact with you? They can either call me or email me. If they would like to call me, they can reach me at 631-860-1716. Or they can email me at joykling, J-O-Y-K-L-I-N-G, speech at gmail.com. This was such a pleasure having you. Thank you for helping our listeners. I'm sure that they are going to be able to take these strategies and start using them right away. And that's what it's all about. The best way to really help students turn their I can't into I can. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Take care. Bye.